All right. Well, hey, wow, it's been quite a week at our house. Uh, um, you know, it doesn't rain that much here, but when it does, you figure out what's broke, what leaks. Anyone besides us? Yeah, a few of us? Yeah. Yeah, so our downstairs is torn up, <clears throat> and it's only going to get worse, more, uh, better, better. My wife's very optimistic about this, about the blessing of this. So, um, I don't know, I wish I could blame that on why I'm like, oh, Jesus, we need you today in this message, because I don't feel like it's done, but here we go. <laughs> I'm the only one that laughed at that, okay. <laughs> Ooh, let's pray. <laughs> let's, let, yeah, let's pray, let's pray. Father, do, do come, thank you. Your presence is here, your presence is strong. God, you're good, and I know that when you are here, um, when we are here, that it just delights your heart that we've gathered together, that we've called time out in our day, in our week, to gather, to experience your presence in our time of worship and singing. Um, and now as we open the word and want to get to know you more, Jesus, I pray that what I speak today will be more than just concepts, but that you'll come and by the power of your spirit that you will move in our hearts and show us what it is that you are calling us to today. And we, we open our hearts to you. We give you our attention. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen? Amen. All right. Those of you that you have your Bibles, open them on up to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, we are nearing the end of our series that we've been calling Supernatural. We're talking about the unseen realm of spiritual beings and angels and demons and Satan and the reality of the Holy Spirit. We shifted into talking quite a bit about the Holy Spirit and, and the gifts of the Spirit that are very supernatural and we believe still real and available to followers of Jesus. Um, and while we could keep studying those things for many, many months, and I believe we're going to come back to them um, at some point and study more, uh, Jim, Pastor Jim and I, Jim was leading worship today, we, um, we have had a sense for a while that in a couple of weeks, we're supposed to start a, a new series that talks about biblical community and the power of authentic spiritual relationships. Um, and nearly every week for the past year here at Hope, we've used this phrase to describe our, our big three. Uh, we, we are here to love God, love others, and the third one is to, did anyone know? Follow Jesus together. There's the pastor wife right there. Way to go, baby. Nicely done. I knew I could count on you. I guess I'll repeat it 52 more times. We'll see if we all get it, right? But this following Jesus together idea is a reminder that none of us stands alone. We all need others to do life with and to, God, God intended for us to walk out this spiritual journey, not isolated, but with other people. Other, goofy, messed up, <laughs> imperfect, weird people. Um, and he knew it was going to be that way. And I love that my friend back there just raised his hand and pointed at himself. Yes, sir. That's good. That's good. I appreciate that honesty. So this week and next week, we're going to wrap up the Supernatural series for now. Next week, we're going to transition to that series on community. And to start out this week's message on the supernatural realm, uh, I just want to look at this story found in Mark 5, and it's going to show us kind of a stark example of how powerful 
um, the supernatural world is, especially when it comes to demonic forces, which is really interesting. I kept saying, should I use this, this, this story to open or not? But here we go. Um, verse 2. Scripture says this. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit. You catch that? Possessed by an evil spirit. It's an interesting um, start to the story here. And man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. The man had lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. So, just time out here. This is, you know, would have normally been just a regular guy, but because he was possessed by a demon, this guy was so strong, so powerful that even chains couldn't hold him. This is one scary dude. Verse 5 says, Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, this man, he would cry out. And what would he do? Look at this here. He would cut himself with stones and just, I read that right in the middle of this story and it's just kind of an aside here, but, but it made me think that, you know, 2,000 years later, what do we see? A lot of people who are emotionally hurting, they're in emotional pain and we're seeing this happen quite a bit today um, that people are cutting themselves. Um, and it just reminds me that that pain is something that the enemy wants to use to harm people that are emotional pain. Um, the people themselves aren't evil when they cut. They're trying to express and get out something that just feels like torment, and I wanna just wonder if most of the time, much of the time, maybe even all the time, that that kind of pain is often driven by our enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy people. Um, that's his mission. So anyway, let's read on, verse six. When Jesus, when he, I'm sorry, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him, shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to me that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. By the way, notice that last line there. Jesus must have already told the demon to come out, but this one didn't go out the first time, even for Jesus. It took a little more persistence, which again informs some things about the spiritual realm that you and I might want to pay attention to, that you know sometimes prayer or healing or even deliverance takes more than just one swipe at it. And... Um, by the way, I encourage you to read the rest of the story this week. It's really interesting, and it's, it's weird, okay? We'll put up on the screen here, and I'll kind of summarize as we go, verse 9. Um, see, what happens is that as Jesus uh, cast out this evil spirit, the evil spirit reveals himself and basically is saying, hey, there are many of us. Our name is Legion, for there are many. And he kind of negotiates a deal with Jesus, and the demon says, uh, cast this into you know, something else. And so Jesus actually cast all these demons into a herd of pigs, which is weird, right? A, a herd of pigs. Now, I heard one pastor ask this profound question. He said, now, why a herd of pigs? And his answer, which I agree with, is, well, because there were no cats around, so that's why. I mean, come on. Everyone knows that you can't herd cats, right? If 
there was a herd of cats, that's where, yeah, that's where Jesus would have sent them. So. But Jesus sends them out to this herd of pigs, and the pigs take off running over the edge. They end up drowning, and this man who was possessed and tormented and held by evil, um, this man that everybody in his community was afraid of because they couldn't contain him and he was so dangerous, suddenly this man is set free by the power and the love of Jesus. It's the power and the love of Jesus. And I think about those two words, the supernatural power of Jesus and the supernatural love of Jesus, and they go hand in hand. In fact, with that kind of framework, if we think about all the stories in the Gospels about Jesus, all of these stories about Jesus are stories about the power, the supernatural power of Jesus, and the supernatural love of Jesus. See, Jesus goes around all through his life here on earth, and he engages in this supernatural battle between good and evil, and he, in his supernatural power, wins the battle. He shows all these foul and unclean spirits that their days of authority here on earth are coming to an end. They're about to end. And this is a crucial thing for us to remember, because as we learned earlier in the series, until Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again, this world had been handed over to the evil one. Satan was the prince of this world. Jesus called him the prince of this world uh, at least twice. Jesus said that about Satan. This is before Jesus died. But, but, but what does the prince of this world mean when it comes to talking about Satan? It means that Satan had authority over the whole world, and if you've been around here for a while, um, you know that we've talked through this, that, that where that happened was in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, Adam and Eve, humankind, had been given authority over this world, be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, fill it, right? So we took this wedding present from God in creation and sinned, handing authority to Satan, so now Satan had all the authority over this world, and so Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God to earth, to bring a new kingdom, a new authority, a new realm. Jesus came to earth to take authority back, to break, to break the power of sin and darkness. And later in his life, at his death and resurrection, that's exactly what Jesus did. That was the act that took authority over all of the planet. That's where Jesus won the victory over the kingdom of darkness. It's why we proclaim today that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord over everything. Jesus won that victory. Satan is defeated. Woohoo, which is great, right? There's a problem, though, is that can feel like theological concept when we look at the world in a practical way, right? If we look at this world, um, we have this question, right? If, okay, so if Jesus has won this ultimate victory, if he has authority over Satan, if the war is over, then why do we still see so much evil in the world today? You ever wonder that? Like if Jesus went to the cross and he is king of kings and lord of lords and all the other stuff that we say that was accomplished by his death and his resurrection, then why doesn't it look like he's fully won all the way? Why is that? And give you a couple ideas around that. I think we might talk about this next week as well some more. But, but here's one way to think of this um, 
battle, being one, the kingdom of God that is already here and not yet here. Um, Jesus' death, his resurrection, we believe, did win the ultimate battle. But we still see that evil and destruction because it's kind of like back in World War II. There's a difference between V-Day and D-Day, right? V-Day and D-Day. So June 6, 1944, there were 24,000 soldiers. There was the the largest seaborne invasion ever. We know it as, historian buffs here, anyone? D-Day, thank you. Thank you, Mark, right up here. Um, see, what happened is that the military stormed these five beaches, and historians, historians will, would look back and say that, okay, it was on D-Day that, that Germany and, um, and the Nazis and their allies were defeated. So they were defeated. That was D-Day, defeat day, right? But the war wasn't quite over, over. Um, see, for 11 more months and two more days, the war went on, battles went on. It wasn't until... V.E. Day, Victory for Europe Day, May 8th, 1945, that the war was actually over, at least on that front. And so that space in between, between D-Day and V.E. Day, were the last days of the war. And, And some of us, you know, think of in our Christian faith, and by the way, all these metaphors break down because they're just illustrations if you push them too far, but it's a way to kind of understand this. Like, so for Christians, we will celebrate Easter, Resurrection Day, as the day that evil was defeated, the day Satan lost, the, the day that Jesus was given all authority over heaven and earth. And here's the truth, evil was defeated, but Satan was not destroyed. Destroyed, not yet. So there are still skirmishes. The enemy lost. He knows he's lost. But, but there are still pockets of resistance where I think humankind has given the enemy a foothold. And in those pockets of resistance, which are sometimes in our own life, where we don't align with the kingdom of God, we don't come under the kingdom of God, but where those pockets of resistance happen, the enemy still has access and hasn't quit yet. And so we live in the gap of these days, and some people... Say, that's what the last days are. We read in the Bible about the last days. Well, the last days are the days between Jesus' victory and when he comes back again, one day, that second coming, everything in between we call the last days. Uh, Another way to look at this kind of how come there's still evil even though the victory is won, um, John Eldridge um, compares this tension of this terrible battle that keeps going even though the war is won uh, to looking at World War II in the South Pacific. Uh, the Allied forces, they took the, the beach at Iwo Jima and they took the airstrip. The enemy was defeated. It was a big day, but still the enemy continued to fight. And so subduing the entire island was, was brutal. Um, island by island, bunker by bunker, tunnel by tunnel, a fierce battle had to continue to be waged until the enemy was thoroughly and completely rooted out and gave up which again is similar to what we see today in our world, right? Jesus has won, Jesus is, Lord. <clears throat> Jesus is Lord, Jesus has all authority on heaven and on earth, but his kingdom has not, obviously, just by looking around, his kingdom has not fully come on this earth. And here's the good news, are you ready for this part? I don't know, are you guys ready for this part, the good news? Are you ready over here? Over here we're ready for the good news part, okay. Here's the good news. As a follower of Jesus, 
You and I have been given the role of partnering with Jesus in fully bringing the kingdom of God here on earth. Like when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is coming, and we get to partner with God in that. We are a part of advancing God's kingdom against the forces of evil and against evil in our world until the day that Jesus returns. And so, how do we know how to do that? How do we know what that actually looks like? Because the way the kingdom of this world looks, you would think, I would think, we might think, that if we're going to see evil stamped out, that we would have to use the same methods that the kingdom of this world uses to fight against darkness, right? So the kingdom of this world's all about power over, it's about the power of the sword, it's about dominating and domineering and shouting louder and campaigning better and raising more money. It's about all of that, that's all kingdom of this world stuff. But guess what? You can't get kingdom of God results with kingdom of this world methods. And the church, and us too, sometimes we keep reverting to this thing over here, the kingdom of this world methods, in how we try to advance change in our world. And we wonder, when like an election happens that's very divided, why the church loses influence, whether or not the candidate that the majority, and it depends on what church you're at, right? There are some pockets that are very pro-Republican, um, we'll say, and others that are pockets of Christians that are very pro-Democrat. And, and again, I think, honestly, for the most part, God doesn't really care that much. He wants stuff that aligns with his kingdom. But when we adopt the ways and the kingdom of this world to try to advance kingdom of God methods, it just won't happen. We actually lose influence. We lose impact because we're so caught up in listening to the voices that we feed ourselves with or the conspiracies or the data or the ideas that we are sliding right into the kingdom of this world methods it's been done all through history, way back into the early church. It's never worked, but we don't seem to get it. So how do we remedy that? I propose that we keep looking at the life of Jesus to see how did he demonstrate the bringing of the kingdom of God here on earth while he was here? And what if, as followers of Jesus, with Jesus as our rabbi, and we are his disciples, we went, huh, Jesus did it this way, maybe we try that. What if we try that? You know, it's why Jesus came and spent three years of this intensive ministry happening, rather than, well, if the point was Jesus just dying and rising again to win the battle, then just bang, get it over with, right? Why waste all that time? Right? Why, would Jesus have, why wouldn't Jesus have come and just said, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to show up, uh, they'll crucify me, I'll give my life away, I'll rise from the dead, and boom, victory is over. Well, see, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, which we're going to celebrate at communion in just a bit here, was the culmination of his life and ministry. But everything he did before that was not just sort of stories to tell. Everything that Jesus did on his way to the cross and to being risen from the dead, everything along the way were demonstrations of what it looks like for you and me to advance the kingdom of God in this world and in our culture. He spent three years showing us how it's done. This is how you and I 
conduct warfare against the principalities and powers of darkness. And I wish I would have thrown this verse on the screen, uh, but we've used it several times. It's why we need to be reminded in Ephesians, I think it's six, that we don't wrestle against people, flesh and blood. Our battle is against rulers and powers and spiritual forces in dark places in the heavenly realms. This is a spiritual battle, not a try to beat people up battle. So the reason that Jesus didn't just die and rise again and show Satan, hey, I'm boss, right? The reason he spent three years doing the other stuff is that the life of Jesus was a demonstration for us of what it looks like for the kingdom of darkness to be invaded by the kingdom of God. And everything Jesus did was an act of war against those principalities and powers. So when he cast out demons like he did for this man that we read in the first story today, um, this is a demonstration of Jesus' power that there is no demonic force stronger than Jesus. They all bow to his name. That's scary stuff. But they bow to the name of Jesus. Jesus shows that his supernatural power is far greater than the supernatural power of Satan's. Now what's really fun for me to look at is that, that Jesus just didn't run around winning battles, relying only on his supernatural power. You know, I'm going to win, I'm going to show I'm stronger by using my power. Well, power is one thing, but just because somebody is more powerful doesn't mean they're good, right? Power might win the battle, but it doesn't mean the same as love, does it? It doesn't. So Jesus, very intentionally, even though he had all the power, could have pushed a button, wiped it out, changed the slate, he instead goes this way that makes no sense to us as people. He goes the route of love. He goes the route of demonstrating supernatural love in every situation. That's how he wins the battle, and he does it because that's what he's calling us as his followers on this earth to do as we confront battles and we confront evil on the earth. We confront evil on the earth not by shouting louder, not by misinformation campaigns, not by selectively quoting whatever we feel like quoting, not by stirring up division amongst people, not by changing the subject when it comes to injustice, not by any of that. We don't win that way. We look for the way to supernaturally love, which makes no sense to most of us, makes no sense to me, but we trust that it's the way of Jesus. And we look at all these stories in scripture that tell us that this is how it works. Every time, every healing in Jesus' life, every, every deliverance, every confrontation, every teaching was a demonstration of supernatural love. And I think that the reason that all of these are in there, I think I've said this already, all these stories are in the scripture, is that we, Jesus is showing, he is demonstrating for you and I what it looks like to overcome evil with supernatural love. That you and I, his followers, partner with God in bringing the kingdom of God against evil in our world, and we do it by supernatural love. Now, the Gospels are filled with stories of this collision of the unseen realm of the supernatural between good and evil and light and darkness 
And Jesus demonstrates over and over that, that light always wins over darkness, that love always wins over hate. And that's how he's reminding and showing us that the kingdom of God is now available and this is how it comes. Not through forcing our way, but and not through power over, but through power under. Not through the power of the sword, but through the power of sacrificial love on the cross. That's how Jesus demonstrates the kingdom of God over the kingdom of this world. And when he does that, the shocking thing happened is that it works. It works. Jesus actually, get this, has authority over Satan, not by just beating the pants off him all the time, but by using love with people to further his kingdom. And I think it's so easy to forget the importance of this when we read stories in scripture. Like it can be really easy for me to kind of read all these stories of healing and miracles and teaching. It's all sort of a warm act, a warm up act for the big deal of the cross and the resurrection. But it's not just a warm up act, right? Um, Greg Boyd says this about that. The, The meaning of Jesus' death and resurrection cannot even theoretically be separated from the basic meaning of life, his life and teachings. They are all about one thing, overcoming evil with good. Which is to say they are about establishing the loving reign of God while vanquishing the powers that resist it. And I love his insight. I love that, right? Everything that Jesus did, next slide, everything Jesus did was all about one thing, overcoming evil with good. You can hold that grid up to the stories in Jesus' life and and notice how Jesus would see evil or suffering or oppression or hatred or sickness or a spirit of religion And he'd see these things that are not the kingdom of God in operation, even if they looked good on the outside. And he would vanquish those things by bringing the love and power of God into that situation. Like with the demon-possessed man, right? Jesus shows up and defeats darkness with light. Everything he did was an act of waging war against the supernatural forces of evil and darkness that held this entire world and every human being captive. And friends, here's the key phrase to remember. Jesus conquered evil with supernatural love. Let's say that out loud together. Jesus conquered evil with supernatural love. You think about how this worked, right? Think about, and by the way, thank Greg Boyd for the work he's done on this that's really been helpful to me. Um, His book, God at War, is really thick and way smarter than me, but there's some good stuff if you want to dive deeper. But um, Jesus conquered evil with supernatural love, and here's how he did it, right? Um, If there were religious taboos that were happening, happening, Jesus broke the power of that stuff by by fellowshipping with, with tax collectors, with prostitutes, with other quote-unquote sinners. Like when Jesus blew up these religious traditions 
so that he could lovingly heal people on the Sabbath. When he did that, he was waging war against the powers of darkness, and he was exposing the systemic evil that fuels things like legalism and oppression. Jesus could have come in and yelled at the legalism and oppression, and sometimes he did, but what he did was conquer evil with supernatural love. It was out of love that he did that. Here's another one where Jesus conquers evil with love. When Jesus boldly crossed racial lines, we read in the scriptures about how he would fellowship and even speak highly of of people like Samaritans who the Jews saw as enemies and they hated each other, or Gentiles, the non-Jews who were unclean and there was a lot of hatred there. When Jesus eliminates all of those racial lines, when he crossed other social barriers like, like fellowshipping with and touching sick people and lepers, which was forbidden by the, by the Jewish elite religious scholars, when he did that stuff, he resisted, he exposed the evils of the powers that fuel racism and social marginalization. When Jesus did that stuff, he was conquering evil with love. How about women? In Jesus' day, women were mistreated, they were disregarded, devalued. But see this, Jesus, who's in the middle of this extremely patriarchal uh, culture, Jesus treated women with dignity and respect. And when he treated women with dignity and respect, he was coming against evil forces and foul powers like um, those that fuel sexism and discrimination and misogyny. And when Jesus did that, he was conquering evil with love. Or when Jesus expressed mercy toward people that knew that they deserved judgment, they knew they were sinning, and the whole culture stipulated they should be judged and cast out of the the community. But when Jesus showed mercy, he was resisting. He was exposing the dark forces, the powers that fuel social and religious cruelty and judgmentalism. In fact, it was this one in particular that that really riled up the people. Um, His his resistance to all the the discriminating and pushing people away, um, uh, his resistance to that led to people doing the bidding of those foul spirits and foul forces that ended up leading Jesus to the cross. And even at the cross, even in their anger, when they put him on the cross to retaliate for his coming against what they embraced, even on the cross, Jesus was conquering evil with love because he didn't have to stay there, but he did. I mean, just the handful of examples that I've given right there, they just help us to see just a few places where Jesus' life as well as his death and his resurrection. You can't just separate them and say, well, his death and resurrection were really the victory. Um, See, his life is so connected. His life shows us examples of how you and I can be followers of Jesus in bringing the kingdom of God and announcing the kingdom of God and nurturing the kingdom of God amongst us and defeating the forces of evil, not by yelling louder, but by supernatural Love. So many times um, we mistakenly think 
And I have mistakenly thought that as a Christian, if we're going to conquer evil in our world, we got to fight back the same way the kingdom of our world fights, right? We think that we're going to use that power over method that I was talking about. Power over instead of power under. Power over is about the power of the sword. Power under is the power of the cross. That's the way of Jesus. The kingdom of this world and that whole power over thing means that I fight back by yelling louder, by demanding our rights. And if I think they're being a belligerent bully, then I'm going to be a belligerent bully right back. I'm going to use power to get my way. But as I said before, friends, those are the methods of the kingdom of this world. Those are not the methods of the kingdom of God. And you can't get kingdom of God methods or kingdom of God results with kingdom of this world methods. And in the kingdom of God, we don't do power over. We do power under. And power under looks like the supernatural power of love. Jesus showed us in his supernatural power under way um, that he doesn't use all the, he had all the power in the world, but he didn't use it to get his way. He used his power to display sacrificial love. Here's four quick examples um, where Jesus didn't use all the power he had just to get his way, right? Here's one. These are all kind of from the end of his life. Jesus, think about this, who rightly owned the entire universe and created the universe <laughs> in love and service to others, he had no place to lay his head. Matthew 8 tells us that. He had no place to lay his head. And he sacrificed that way, even though he didn't have to. How about this? Even though Jesus was God and had all power in heaven and on earth um, and was the ruler of all, the Lord of all, the king of all, the gospel of John on the night Jesus is betrayed tells us that Jesus uses that amazing power to demonstrate instead servanthood by washing the dirty, smelly feet of his disciples and... (laughs) The very people, the disciples he knew were just hours later going to abandon him. He still knows that's going to happen. And he demonstrates servanthood. He demonstrates sacrificial love. Even to those who were about to abandon him. Or how about later that night? The, the soldiers come to get Jesus. Peter, you know slices off the ear of one of the guards, he goes for the power of the sword. Peter goes, power of the sword. He goes, power of this kingdom of this world, right? He's trying to defend Jesus, but he's using the power of the kingdom of this world, not the power of the kingdom of God. He slices off an ear, good-hearted Peter, well-meaning, right? What's Jesus do? Ah, you deserve that, guy. You deserve that. You come to get me. No. To that guy with the ear cut off, Jesus takes, heals his ear, puts it right back on, and tells Peter to stand down. Jesus had all power. Instead, he demonstrates love. And the last one here, how about this one? He was nailed to a cross. At that moment, Jesus could have called 10,000 angels, 100,000 angels to destroy the world, to set him free. But he says, nope. Out of love, instead, Jesus allows himself to be crucified. See, forsaking the use of the kingdom of this world methods, forsaking that power over for the sake of expressing the power of love towards others. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. 
It comes under. It's the power of the cross. It's the power of the supernatural love of Jesus. And Jesus knew that is the only way that evil will be fully defeated through the power of demonstrating supernatural love. See, that's the kind of love that stops to cast out demons from people who have been cast out of their own society like Jesus did for the leper in Mark 5. That kind of love that stops for someone who is an other, people that we don't know, maybe people we don't even like, maybe people that are very different. It's supernatural love that stops and demonstrates and brings the kingdom that way. That's how Jesus did it all through his life. And what about us? What about you? What about me? As followers of Jesus, what's our approach in how we relate to our world? What's our approach in how we make a difference or bring change to our world? Listen, there is really horrific abuse in our world. There is evil. There is evil. Sometimes when people advocate for the use of power over methods by Christians, they're like, well, you you aren't paying attention if you don't see how bad it is. No, 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 no. If we think we have to revert to the power of this world's methods, then we're not paying attention because only the supernatural power of the love of Jesus is gonna make a difference. See, there's abuse and destruction. There is, there is injustice and oppression. There's addiction. There's sexual confusion. There are people who are oppressed with literal demons. And as followers of Jesus, we get to partner with God. Remember that part? We get to partner with him in advancing his kingdom. You and I get to bring life to dead places. We get to bring hope to the hopeless. We get to bring spiritual sight to those who have been blinded by sin. You and I get to bring acceptance and grace to those who are overlooked and feel lost. We get to bring freedom and justice for those who have been oppressed. And so what will we do in the face of the evil in our world? Because it's not working to just get louder. It's not working to just argue and divide and isolate and camp out and hope that we win and put up. It ain't working. It's not working. Will we learn to demonstrate supernatural love in conquering evil by looking at how Jesus did his life? We're going to do that. Or... We're going to keep fighting, right, for power and control. We're going to keep battling with the methods of the kingdom of this world, trying to force and yell louder and maneuver and manipulate by demanding and disrespecting and bullying and speaking evil about people that we see as our opponents. Is that how followers of Jesus are supposed to bring the kingdom of God? And I think so often if we look at our behaviors, and I'm not talking about our church, I'm talking about just kind of the church at large, Ugh, man, if we look at what we see, I think sometimes we get lost. Because what we want to do, what we can do, is follow Jesus. Wouldn't you rather follow Jesus and trust that we can follow his way, his teachings? Will we begin to wonder what it looks like to stop fighting for power and control and instead of grasping for power to get our way, can we, like Jesus, learn what it means to demonstrate sacrificial love? 
But to do that would take something supernatural, wouldn't it? Friends, I'm not good at this. I find myself all the time, I catch myself grasping and using the methods of the kingdom of this world, trying to move forward by having better strategy or arguing to get my way or disdaining or thinking poorly of people that I disagree with. But I'm so sick of it, and aren't you? See, there's something in your heart that even if you win the argument about whatever issue it is, or even if your guy won the election or didn't win the election or won the election four years ago, however it is, and you feel good and you argued and did your thing and did the power over deal, there's something inside of your soul as a follower of Jesus it doesn't connect with because you weren't wired to live and operate that way. And it just squashes our souls to behave in ways that are inconsistent with the sacrificial love of the kingdom of God. And don't you want to come alive again? Friends, Jesus shows us the way to life through his life, through his life that the only way to truly conquer evil is with love, supernatural love. Worship team, will you come? Supernatural love, which is what brings us to the table today. At the communion table, we remember the Last Supper we remember these sacraments of communion, which capture the beauty and the reality of the victory of Jesus. So many times we come to the table and we just think about our sin and we're glad our sins are forgiven. And that's great. I'm glad my sins are forgiven. But there's so much more to remember, friends. Jesus won the victory over the enemy. And he did it in finality by his body being broken, by his blood being poured out, that was the ultimate victory. And he did it for you, he did it for me. He did it for love. He conquered evil that held us through supernatural love. Colossians 2 verse 13 tells us that God forgave us all our sins having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities. So these are the evil powers, the evil authorities that stood and held claim over this world. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so in communion, we remember Jesus' body broken, his blood poured out. We remember that we are grateful that our sins are forgiven, that we're free from the foul powers of this world. We remember all of those things, but I was wondering this week if, that, if, 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 if even just a part of what Jesus said about communion when he said, do this to remember me, maybe he wanted us to also remember how real power and real authority is demonstrated how real love is demonstrated. So if we need to remember, maybe we need to remember that, not just to be grateful, but to remember that his pattern is to be our pattern too. Supernatural, sacrificial love, where we too are willing to give up our rights and maybe our own bodies to demonstrate love. 
bring the kingdom of God more fully to this world. Supernatural, sacrificial love. Because it was on the night that he was betrayed that Jesus took bread and when he had blessed it, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat and do this to remember me. Let's take and eat together the body of Christ. took the cup, it would have been a common cup. When he had blessed it and given thanks, he held it up. He said, this cup is the new covenant, the new promise, the promise which is in my blood, which will be poured out for the forgiveness of the sins of many. Take and drink and do this to remember me. Let's drink together. Jesus, thank you for your body that was broken, your blood that was spilled. Thank you that you didn't just tell us what to do, you demonstrated for us what sacrificial, supernatural love looks like. Will you help us bit by bit and inch by inch to partner more with the kingdom of God and your way instead of the ways where we're fighting and grasping, may we, as your followers, help to bring the kingdom more and more, and may we see change and transformation by learning to love. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with us for our closing song together?